So Kay Baxter is, has been an organic gardener for 50 years, is the founder of the Koanga Institute. She has a vast knowledge of home gardening, nutrient-dense food production, and the links between regenerative food growing and human health. The Institute and its founders have brought together New Zealand's largest collection of New Zealand heritage vegetable seeds, with over 800, and Northern Bioregional Heritage Fruit Tree and National Berries, with a collection of over 400 over, the, over a 30-year period. Kay, I love what you do and have been quite aware of the Koanga Institute for a while now. My first question is usually my last question, but I want to know what is your why and why did you turn your passion into a business? The thing that, I mean, this is probably, I don't really usually talk about this, but the thing that started me was what, I, I had a lot of health issues when I was really young. Like I've, I've had everything, you know, I've had cancer twice, I've had all kinds of serious health issues. And I wanted to know what makes a healthy person. So um, a lot of the things that I've done in my life have not been things I've chosen. I've felt like they've just come and they've been, they've been challenges and I've chosen to take them up and I've kind of walked through the door and there's been another one. And so it's been a journey that I haven't, never really could have planned. I never really could have planned it, but my health was the driving force. And so um, I've had a really, really amazing journey and for, for a long time and I guess um, the, seed, the, the, seed, the fruit trees and the seeds, the heritage food plant collection um, was probably the first major step that I took. Um, I started saving the heritage fruit trees because I saw that they were disappearing in Northland really fast. And then I started saving New Zealand heritage vegetables after um, that rush Chernobyl, the Russian nuclear mm. disaster, when someone told me that all our seeds came from Holland, which was under a nuclear cloud. And it was just, I had four young kids then, and I just thought, well, I'm gonna do something. Mm. And this felt, I, it was a very disempowering feeling to feeling like we were totally dependent on the Northern Hemisphere for our vegetables. Mm. But I was very naive about the whole food scene at that point. Really, I was a mother with, uh, who cared about what I fed my kids and that, you know, and my health. And so everything's come out of that, but I've learned a lot since then. And so spending 20 years at home alone really with the seeds taught me, I mean, I built a really strong relationship with the seeds and came to understand that there was something powerfully different in the way those seeds were able to nourish me. And I didn't really have words for that in the beginning than the way food in the supermarkets was able to nourish me. And so um, I didn't talk about that for a long time, but then science started coming in to show that food grown from our heritage food plants is way more nutritious than food grown from modern seeds and modern fruit trees. Like it's many times, like some of, I saw what, years ago, I saw a research, a PhD student did some research in Lincoln University that showed that our old Uranika potatoes, the old purple potatoes, had a thousand times more antioxidants in them than the ones in the supermarket. And mm. it's not always that great a difference, but I know with tomatoes, it's like 20 times more, and roughly, you know, and depending on the tomato. And apples, it's many times more as well. It's just generally, and so I've, I've come to <coughs> understand that our heritage seeds, our food plants are seeds, are really genetically diverse and they co-evolved in living soil a soil that was highly mineralized and full of microbes and fungi and our heritage seeds and food plants 
because they're genetically diverse and because they co-evolved in these living soils, co-evolved in a way that they were able to communicate with the life in the soil, which um, meant that they had, this is a bit out there, but I've, <laughs> it's taken me a while to grasp this, but I've, I'm getting there. Because they're able to fully connect with the life in the soil, they're able to be more highly nourished mm. by, the, by the microbes and the fungi and the minerals that are in the soil. So because they're better nourished plants, they have a higher electrical current flowing in their stems and their leaves, mm. which means they're able to pull in from the universe a lot more of what they need, like up to 90% of what they need. So when they are able to do that, they are photosynthesizing in a high highly efficiently they have then what they then do is they then make a lot more sugars in their leaves and during the photosynthesis process and then they pump a lot of those sugars out through their roots at night to grow humus and mm. life in the soil and I've so not so what the end result of all of that is that these heritage seeds that I've been working with I discover are more able to integrate with a, a living system that earth, with the earth and the sky they grow to be more nutrient dense which we now know through the science of epigenetics is what humans need to maintain our dna and our health we need nutrient dense food we need a nutrient dense diet but not only does it work for us it works for the earth and the planet because plants are nature's way and trees and plants are nature's way through the photosynthesis process of building soil and building life, of building biodiversity, of building connection, communication. Mm. So we've kind of lost that understanding and we don't have that happening with F1 hybrids, with G GE seeds, with gene edited seeds, the latest fashion, with CMS seeds. All of those seeds have a far less ability, have a much less uh, ability to communicate with the life in the soil so that they haven't got a strong electrical current they aren't able to make as much sugars in their leaves so they end up degenerating the soil mm. in the process of growing rather than regenerating the soil and they're not nutrient dense they're unable to be nutrient dense in the same way they have enzyme blockers in their in their in their bodies which prevent them from picking up key nutrients from the soil for a start and plants need 84 different minerals mm. to be to grow to be highly functioning so I think the guts of it all that I've learned through working with the heritage seeds and the heritage food plants and learning to grow food in a regenerative way is that if we work with the natural world which basically functions on the photosynthesis machine mm -hmm. the photosynthesis machine is a regeneration machine and um, it grows soil for us if we work with it but we aren't working with it. We're working against it in, in our practices today. And so I think for animal farmers, as well as for horticulturalists, anyone growing food, if we work with the laws of nature, work with the photosynthesis process, which for, for people growing meat, I mean, it's actually easier for people growing meat to do that than it mm. even is for people in the horticulture industry. And um, it all comes down to how you manage your animals. How you shift them basically yeah. because when you've got grass that's an inch long you've got roots that are an inch long and they can't access the minerals they can't access the moisture the cows won't be as healthy you end up back into that degenerative cycle which is traditional agriculture in new zealand we've degenerated our soils mm. we've lost like we know we've lost over 85 percent of the minerals in our soil yeah 
in the last hundred years. So we've got to work with the laws of nature, with the photosynthesis process. Mm. So instead of perhaps um, what we, a lot of farmers and things are doing at the moment, we're so focused on putting minerals into the soil by means of fertilizer that we actually should be more focused on what we're growing as a way to regenerate the soil rather than chucking minerals on it? Well, not necessarily that simple because my understanding of what's happened is that when you've got highly mineralized um, living soil full of microbes and fungi how plants feed is phosph it's the phosphorus in the soil available phosphorus phosphorus it's available to the plant roots carry it car they, phosphorus carries in the other minerals and phosphorus goes into the plant and phosphorus is the catalyst for the photosynthesis process so when it starts the photosynthesis process it drops the minerals in the sugars and you get a nutrient-dense plant when there's lots of phosphorus going in there. But we've depleted the phosphor available phosphorus in our soils and the minerals and killed the microbes. So what we do now is we put on nitrates and a few other things. There's actually 84 minerals required to grow a healthy cell, but we're not putting on very many of those. So when it's nitrogen feeding the plants and carrying in some of the other key minerals, nitrogen doesn't catalyze the photosynthesis process so you don't get a fully functioning plant you don't get a high bricks nutrient dense plant and in the process of that plant growing it degenerates the, the soil the carbon the humus mm. the the life in, in the soil so we're degenerating our resource base and we can see that it's happened before our eyes mm. so we have to we have to i mean there are there are consultants out there now working with the laws of nature and the photosynthesis process and who understand how to do this and and but it's essentially we have to kind of skip we have to like take our heads into another paradigm really and start thinking okay how do we work with the laws of nature how do we work mm -hmm. with the photosynthesis process and um what i found with our animals with with the sheep and the cows really all we had to do was change the way we moved them so that the grass got a lot longer, the roots of the grass got a lot longer, was able to access more nutrients. And I mean, we follow holistic management practices or management intensive grazing, and it definitely takes more time managing the stock, but the stock grow faster, they're way healthier. You have, you get more stock, you know, more stock units on the same amount of land and the, 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 the biodiversity, the insect life, the bird life, mm. the biodiversity just goes through the roof quite fast. I've, was really blown out and it feels like an alive living environment that is happy and healthy and so there's much more person there's much more human satisfaction mm. comes out of it you feel good about what you're doing emotional health mental health physical health all mm. like you just have to sort of start taking the small steps to turn around the systems and once they start becoming regenerative everything improves Every, the energy of everything gets yeah. better including like there's lots of talk even here at this conference about um, the mental health of, of farmers and mm. I think it's pretty tough when you're you're stuck in a system that you can see is degenerating everything yeah. and your bank you know your debt's getting higher and mm. but when you one of the beneficial things about stepping into a regenerative process is that you there's more production less costs less pests and diseases more profit like it actually 
you kind of go from degenerating everything to regenerating everything. And I'm not saying it's an overnight thing, but yeah. it doesn't take long to see enormous benefits. Yeah, I've, I've worked both on a dairy farm and I've worked in sheep, beef and deer systems. And it's, it's always been quite unusual to me. And I've seen a graph about this recently, how we'd put the cows in when, when it was measuring, you know, two and a half thousand um, sort of growth levels. And we'd take them out when it got down to 1500, when it was very yeah. low. And we're absolutely, the, the thing I saw was if you were grazing it down to 50%, you're still growing the roots and it was something like if you're grazing it down that low you lose 17 days of growth yeah it stops growing for 17 yeah, there's days there's a whole lot of there's mm. a whole lot of um, things in there i mean essentially what we're doing <coughs> in regenerative grazing is mimicking the way animals grazers grazing animals work on the on the veld or on the mm. prairie and they they mob graze they trash the area yeah. they actually only eat the top third and they trash the next third, which feeds the microbes, mm. and they leave the last third because if you leave that last third of the growth, it comes away immediately. Yep. So, so, and the time that they go on to the grass is at the point in the growth cycle of the plant where it has just finished sequestering all those sugars down into the soil to grow, mm. grow and build humus, and just before they send them all back up to, to go into the seed. Yeah. So it's at the maximum point. It's at a point of maximum regeneration of the of the resource base of the grass, mm. and it's at the point where it's actually the best feed for the animals. It grows the best animals. Mm. So it's a slightly different. It's a different way of looking at when is the best time to put them on, and understanding the implications of putting them on at that time, and then leaving it to rest for quite a, a much yeah. longer period of time than we are used to doing. But the the results are. You can see it. Like you don't have to mm. be a rocket scientist. You don't have to really like. You know the results are phenomenally fast, and um, that it's so inspiring and so it's such a buzz to yeah. work in those systems. Yeah, I can feel how passionate you are, and I think it's one of those things that once you understand the basics, then it becomes quite logical. Yeah, yeah it is. It's very logical. Seems very logical that, to me. For me, one of the most frustrating things in my life really was that I got to be in my fifties. And in, when I was in my 50s, and I opened a book and it said, if you're reading this book, you're a student of the law of nature. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't believe that I've been looking for that. My, I mean, I've always been a person, and I'm sure many of us mm -hmm. are, that would want to be able to say that we were working with the laws of nature. And I thought, oh my God, I don't even know what they are, and I'm in my 50s. Mm. And so this book, um, it's called Nourishment Homegrown by a mm -hmm. man called A.E. Beto. He describes how a healthy cell grows. Okay. And I never thought I'd ever be able to understand that. I've done no science. Um, but I could, I could understand. I mean, it took me a while and I, you know, to integrate it and learn how to use the information. But essentially, um, you can do it. I mean, it's about reconnecting and plugging mm. ourselves back into the natural systems and the laws of nature. And I mean, I, I'm not a real expert with animals, but we do have animals and we do are doing that. Really, my main field of research and expertise is in the veggie garden, really, mm. is, is growing hybrids, food in the veggie garden. Yeah. Veggies and fruit and grains, forest gardens and, and stuff. And I've tried to focus on how... I mean, the thing, one of the really amazing things that I'm, I think about is that indigenous people actually knew how to do it. Mm. And, and, but they never had science. So how did they learn? And I've been trying to, like, 
I feel like I, I'm getting there in terms of building connections and learning to understand, but we've lost, the indigenous people had generation after generation after generation passed on through their songs in, in this land, mm. through kapahaka, yeah. through the songs, the actions and the words which taught, uh, taught us how to behave, how to do things in certain places, certain times. It's a pattern language. Mm. We don't. Ha we we've, we threw that out yeah. as colonizers. We threw that out. We denied it was important. And now we're in a situation. We have to learn how we're going to live on this planet in a way that takes care of the planet, mm. our resource base, the Mother Earth, so that we can survive too. And so, because we haven't got the pattern language there anymore, I found science really useful. To and I I use science to figure out what works. What, what isn't working, I get like soil tests done of every compost Good. heap. I get soil tests done twice a year in my garden beds and they're ream soil tests. And I work out over years, this is working, this is growing, and then I'm trying to turn it back into a pattern language. So that, mm. because home gardeners don't want to have to go and do the science. Yeah. The science can be really amazing and the technology can be amazing as long as our ethics and values are right. But, um, we just want a pattern language. Our ancestors had pattern mm. languages of what works in this ecology, on this bend of the river, in yeah. this country, with this soil and this climate, you know, a sort of a pattern language. And I think that's um, the culture of, of our communities in the past and our villages was based on the pattern language that, co that had come through that process of co-evolution for many generations. And it's kind of our job on the planet right now to, to re-establish those those the culture that expresses who we are and it has to be taking care of the earth that we stand on that we live on that we live with yeah as well as ourselves and the whole of our ecology yeah i love how you've brought it back to science as well so that you know i think it's going to be really useful when talking with farmers and as people get more into this you can say well it sounds really good, but actually, I here's know. the science that backs it up. Because well, a lot of people are in that mind, so I, it's very good that there's a balance. I, yeah, I kind of rejected science at school because I was in too big a class and I couldn't really deal with it. Mm. And I spent 20 years working with developing my intuitive side, but I got to a point where I couldn't. There was two big questions I couldn't find answers mm. to. One was, what what makes a healthy person, and the other was, what grows healthy makes healthy soil. I couldn't find all the answers. Mm. So I science. I, went, I turned to science, and I put them together now. But I think mm. science is really dangerous without the values yeah. and the ethics. So having having values and ethics that mean, you know, the earth is important. We need to be taking, mm. regenerating the soil that we've been degenerating. We need to be, you know, everything, everything, living thing is important. Like the whole ecology is important. Diversity is important. Um, so, yeah, so I think we need, we have to bring them together now. It's time to integrate um, mm. and value both the left brain and the right brain, you know, yes. the, the, the um, values of all religions and indigenous people yeah. and science needs to come together. Yeah, I, I really, really love that. Um, if, how would you recommend that farmers start to learn more about this? What are resources or people or organisations to talk to to start implementing this on perhaps their commercial farms? How, how can we start changing this and where can they find out more information? Um, there's a really amazing woman called Nicole Masters who, um, oh, I've forgotten what the name of her business is, I'll have to find it for you, who runs workshops. She comes to people, goes to people's farms and holds workshops there and 
um, that's really, um, I know a few years ago she left New Zealand because she was so disappointed with what was happening <laughs> here, but she's coming back, like she's here a lot now. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, I've been working with um, Grant at Environmental Fertilizers who understands all this stuff and is amazing as well. I know that there are teachers in New Zealand of holistic management um, um, systems, which are animal systems. I know, I mean, there are quite a few farmers in New Zealand um, who are already practicing this mm. and who are getting amazing results. Um, um, if you go, you can do online training if you go to Holistic Management um, website and they run workshops and do stuff. But there'll be New Zealand mm. connect connections up there. Um, yeah, though, I mean, I know there are lots of others who I don't know who they are. Those are yeah. the people I've been working with here. Great. So the early adopters and the innovators are a passionate bunch that they're really starting to look at it now. And I've been seeing discussions online about this, especially probably in the last six months. All of a sudden, there's been like this change happening. They're getting louder and louder, which is, it's a really exciting time. People that uh, are quite negative about it, what what's... What's holding them back? What are they? What is their go-to phrase? Do you know? Well, I think it's scary. I mean, change is mm. scary. Changes. I mean, I feel like I've been through a huge change myself. There, like, yeah. I, I, I can remember. I used to say to my husband, "I know, oh, too much change. I can't handle the change. <laughs> it's like, just keep it the same." But I've. I'm totally through that now and I can see yeah. that we're at, we are here on earth at a time when we need a lot of change and mm. so somehow it has to be, we have to be able to hold each other safe in that and I think, so connection, we've become very disconnected, connection, yeah. groups of people who can talk together, support each other, bring in teachers, bring in people who've got something to mm. offer you and um, share and look after each other, I mean everyone's um, on a knife edge because financially, emotionally, yeah. in every way, and and that's been that it's like that because we've pretty much um, ignored the, the laws of nature and trashed the earth and trashed the mm. water and trashed like we are living. It's very fragile right now, and so I think working together in groups, having mm. teams of people who can collaborate, um, you know, get support and help and advice. There are a lot of people out there mm. who have it to offer. This is a bit of an out there question, but just based on what you're saying, when you've said about the regenerative approach, it's giving, it's a full cycle and how it makes you feel as well. You've said that things are quite delicate and on a knife edge on a, you know, an international yeah, level. Yeah, totally, yeah. From what seems to make sense and jump out to me is that that's probably I wonder if it's one of those things that why people are in a heightened state of anxiety and depression and mental health yes, and I, the fragility of totally, people are different. Yeah. Absolutely, totally, It seems to make quite sense because it then comes down to what are we eating, what is the yes. air that we're breathing, what are we drinking, yes. and it, it seems to have, it feels like it's a natural approach. If we aren't looking after the other things, then in turn that's not going to look after that's ourselves. That's exactly what I've come to. Mm. There are two main books, there are two books in my life that I recommend to all my students. One of them is the work of an amazing man called Dr. Weston Price who travelled the world in the 1920s and 30s trying to discover what makes a healthy person. And he discovered that every group of indigenous people on the that he visited, which was all around the planet and it was many of them, it was more than 30, 
um, all understood what it took to maintain their health mm. and they all used the same principles in their diets and how come we've thrown all of that out like mm. that book's called nutrition and physical degeneration and it's easy to read it's full of pictures it's a really special book everybody should read that book every library should have it every health class should mm. be based on it and it gives us the principles and the patterns of how to maintain our health and he he said when he wrote that book he could look at everyone in prison hmm. and all the social people that were unable to operate socially well and see that they'd been malnourished in their yeah. lives yeah. and so how come our mental health department doesn't want to acknowledge at all yeah. that, that what we eat has got anything to do with mental health and I think we know ourselves when we're eating healthy not drinking too much alcohol not drinking too much coffee not we spending f- all day on the computer. Yeah, we feel a lot more st- as stable as a person. And as soon as one of those things go out of whack, um, or a whole lot of things, yeah. then we start to become more fragile. And we're, yeah. you know, the ups and downs become yeah. greater. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. very connected. It's all connected. And I think, for me, it's just super exciting to, to for the... I mean, I'm in my mid-60s now, and I'm really just starting to get, <laughs> get a handle on yeah. how... What the laws of nature are, that if I work with them... Wow, like, and I think in three years after, we, when we were living in Hawke's Bay, and when we moved there, we moved on to an, an old she- sheep farm, and, you know, the grass was all an inch high everywhere, yeah. and we fenced off a plot, and started practicing some of these things I'm learning, and within three years, the insect life went through the roof, mm-hmm. and the next thing that happens was the bird life came in, and unbelievable. Now we've got to, like, fight the kiddoroo for our plums and <laughs> things, which maybe, you know, yeah. is a bit challenging, but the life and the things are changing so fast and it, when you're you know in that environment all of, every day it affects you yeah and you put more back in and it's just it actually one of the concepts that I've come to understand and it feels a very deep and profound one is that for the whole of human evolution until the last few hundred years we've actually co-evolved with the natural world mm. if we didn't understand the natural world understand our soils understand the weather patterns understand all the things about that when the animals came and when mm. they went and who had their babies then and when you had to stop killing them or they or they wouldn't be around like there mm. were so many things we knew and understood we co-evolved and if we didn't understand that stuff if we weren't connected we didn't survive yeah We've totally disconnected from all of that, mm. and actually, what this new, what we're being challenged to do now is reconnect, yeah, and come back again into that process of co-evolution with the ecology around us. Mm. And I think um, one of the one of the little stories that helps people understand that I think is like I use the bees. Mm-hmm. So in a beehive, what happens? The bees go out and they forage for quite long, large areas and distances. And they know how to chirp. They read the they read the environment. They read the ecology. They read the vibration of the flowers and the pollen and the nectar. And they read what's going on in, around them. And they choose the nectar and pollen of the plants with the highest vibration that are, and a range of plants that are going to create best health for mm. their colony of bees. Mm. And that knowledge and that all goes into their DNA and helps to create their queen for the next generation of bees. And so they're co-evolving all the time in a direct relationship with what they are reading from the environment around them. And so if we requeen the beehives with a queen that suits the industrial beekeeping model, we take away their ability to mm. co-evolve and adapt to what's happening in the environment. 
And we so, do to them what we've done to ourselves. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what we've done to ourselves. Yeah. When we buy food in the supermarket, which is grown somewhere else, it takes away our ability to be eating food that is communicating with the life mm. in the earth where we live and the unit, the energies of the universe that come in mm. and affect that plant as well. And the plant adapts and co-evolves to those energies and we eat it and it prepares us for the winter mm. to come, for the summer to come. For the whatever's happening in our environment, which we've become quite deadened to, yes, because we've cut ourselves off from all the connections, and and you mm. know that it's just, I, I can't. I mean, it's exciting to it learn is. it and reconnect, and I'm so happy that I'm doing that. But I wished I'd done it. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I you, you can't really say that, but it it's happening with much. There's a lot of young people that are like yeah. stepping into that process now, so that's awesome. And I think it's so important that you've done what you've done and the journey that you've come to because now you're in such a special space where you can share that knowledge and help build up that next generation of yeah. knowledge and bring it through, yeah. which is so important because you know we don't have the time to waste. No. We'd like we don't have the time to do all this knowledge that you've built yourself. Um, to get these things underway. No, one of the things, education is really important. And one of the things we did yesterday <clears throat> was we put up a website and a Patriot. We're working with Patreon, which is a crowdfunder, yep. and we've put up a new an education website Excellent. so people can do. We're doing online workshops on all the stuff around. I production. am going to be as bold to say as I will be one of the first people to sign up to that. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's exciting. quite exciting. Yeah. yeah, we've got a young filmmaker who's living with us for a year, and we just oh, wow. do two workshops a month to get them up. There's a whole group. That's of us. fantastic. It's quite exciting. A friend of mine, um, his name is Duncan Hum. He's um, part of NZ Farming, and he's very passionate about this. He's changed his whole farming system for this reason and farms deer. He's uh, been talking to me a lot about this lately, and one of the questions that he put forward to you was. Um, what do you think that regenerative agricultural practices are going to give the same yield in time that conventional growing way does? more way more way more that that production Good. goes through the roof yeah. like really fast like the the, the i mean it's <coughs> it makes total sense because the, because you're improving your resource base you're mm -hmm. raising the quality of the of the soil you're raising your mineral levels your microbe levels you're improving the soil you're raising humus levels and so the plants are stronger, they they then mm. keep, keep improving the soil. And the production is higher, less pests, less diseases. Um, I mean, I know a lot about all that, but we haven't got time to go mm. into that right now, I don't think. So um, the production is higher. This, uh, this, yeah. One of the things that fascinates me that you've said is that, you know, what the plant is putting back into the soil. Because mm. I think for so long, everyone's so concerned about chucking stuff into the soil because of what the plant can get out of it but we don't actually talk about what the plant is putting back into the soil that's not a focus we're just trying to you know unless we're well, nitrogen fixing we land and that's like fifth form biology like yeah, that people I know. have forgotten it that. is well we never were taught it yeah we weren't taught it like the reason why the plants send exudates out through their roots is to feed the microbes because the microbes bring to the plants the nutrients mm. they need so they're doing deals, the yeah. fungi and the microbes. It's an amazingly yeah. complex thing under there. Like plants send via the fungi, they communicate and send nutrients for like caves. Mm. There's specific trees, the communicator trees, like the alders and the willows, and yeah. um, that can send the fungi, connect up with the fungi and send nutrients for long, long distances. It's really amazing. 
That's fantastic. I am absolutely thrilled to have been able to talk to you today and I would quite happily talk to you all day and I think it might be good that um, we perhaps catch up again and talk about different parts of it and really try and get what you're doing out mainstream. We, I just, I want everyone to know about what you're doing and what you're talking about because I think it is more important now than ever and I think we really need to support and build up people like yourself. So um, thank you so much. We're probably out of time, but I really appreciate your time and hopefully we can still sneak down and grab some lunch before cool. we start again. Yeah, <laughs> awesome.